Well, it is good to see you. I was preaching at another church a couple of weeks ago online, and uh, they all remarked about how I looked, uh, you know, the beard had grown somewhat. Well, I, I don't know whether it has or not, but uh, it did make me think that, uh, you know, as some have said, I look like Father Christmas. Well, they do say that, you know, when you're young, you believe in Father Christmas. When you have a family, you are Father Christmas. And when you get to my age, you become Father Christmas. So uh, there you are. There's my Christmas beard for you. I'm delighted to be continuing this series that uh, Mark has launched called Abide. And uh, it's just such a crucial thing, this whole business of abiding in Jesus, remaining in him, pressing on in to, to be with him, because that is the absolute key of life in the spirit. And, uh, you know, I'm encouraged. I've been thinking about that, reading through that passage, and I, I loved as I read read it through that, you know, I saw that Jesus's intention, God the Father's intention is that we bear fruit. It's not something that we ought to do or should do. He's the gardener. Jesus says, I'm the vine, you know, dwell in me, remain in me, abide in me. And as we do so, it says we bear fruit. And as the Father prunes us, and sometimes that's uncomfortable, of course, we start to be more fruitful, it says. And then it goes on to say, we bear much fruit. That's God's plan for us. And it says in John 15, 16, a little bit further on from the passage that we've been looking, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. I find that so encouraging. I hope you do too, because if it were up to me, I don't think I could, I don't think I could do it. I don't think I could make it. I, could, I couldn't be effective enough, fruitful enough or whatever. But it's the Father's intention. It's the Father's intention that we bear fruit. Well, what I want to spend some time today thinking about is, is what we call walking in the Spirit. Walking in the Spirit. Now, you know, many of you will know that as Christians, we believe in three, a, a triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And sometimes the Holy Spirit seems to be overlooked. Well, not in this church, thank God. The Holy Spirit is really the one who is with us. He's our coach, our friend, our comforter. He challenges when we get it wrong. He takes us by the hand. He draws us sometimes into difficult situations. But what he does is he uses our deep connection with Jesus to teach and train us. And we call that walking in the Spirit. In Galatians 5, I'm not going to look at it now because of time, but in Galatians 5, we hear about the fruits of the Spirit. As we walk with God, as we press into Jesus, as we abide in him, so we start to, well, he wants a character change in us, the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, etc., etc., etc. But I'm going to look at some of the thing, some of the gifts of the Spirit, some of the toolkit he gives us to live this Christian life, gifts that are a little bit beyond the ordinary. Some of them are very much beyond the ordinary. But I'm I want to look at that and talk about Jesus's ministry, and then I'm going to end up with a little bit of ministry. Now, you may find that a bit strange. I mean, you're in your lounge, your kitchen, your bedroom, wherever you are. I'm here. How's that going to work? Well, of course... 
as Christians, we believe that God is with us wherever we are. We believe that if two or more are gathered together, there's a very special dynamic. But God is with us. And actually, when we read the scriptures, we read that Jesus didn't always have to be there when there was some manifestation of God's spirit. For example, we read that uh, there was an occasion where Jesus was uh, going about his business and some elders of the local church came to him and said, Jesus, uh, there is a centurion in our village who has done much good for us. And he has requested that we ask you if you would uh, come and lay hands on his servant. This servant is greatly favored by this centurion. And uh, so Jesus said, fine, let's do it. So he sets off. When the centurion was told that Jesus was actually coming to his home, he sent his servants again and said, look, 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 master, thank you. Thank you that you would, you would agree to come to my home. But actually, you know, I know how authority and power work. I'm a centurion. I say to some, go, and they go. I say to others, come, and they come. Just say the word, Jesus, and my servant will be healed. Now, Jesus was amazed by this. He actually said, I've not found faith like this in Israel. And he said to the servants, go home, the master's servant will be well. And they went home and the master's servant was well. So just because we're not in church together, just because, you know, Mark isn't laying hands on you or the ministry team are laying hands on you or I'm laying hands on you or whoever, whatever, does not mean to say that the Lord God cannot come into your home and minister in power to you. Do you believe it? I hope you do. Well, we're going to do a little bit of minister at the end, so watch out for that. Put, our, put aside thoughts of it being a bit weird. It isn't. It's biblical, and we're going to do that, and we're going to see what God can do. So I want to now look at a day in the life of Jesus, a day in the life. And what we're going to do is we're going to see Jesus actually at work and ministering or using some of these gifts of the Spirit. Now, the thing I want, I want you to really grasp here is that these supernatural gifts are situational. There's some teaching out there which says that, you know, I have the gift of prophecy, or I have the gift of uh, healing, or I have the gift of whatever it is. Uh, it doesn't, in my experience and understanding, actually work like that. In any given moment, we are required to depend on and remain in and look to Jesus. And as we do that, and as we walk in the Spirit, I'll be saying, giving a few tips as to how we can, you know, keep in that place of engaging with the Holy Spirit. As we do that, so we will find opportunities sent by God to do things that, quite frankly, are wonderful, marvelous, and amazing. So let's look at Jesus' ministry, a day in the life. I'm going to move through this fairly quickly, and I'm going to look at Mark chapter 4, beginning at verse 35. I'll read the first of these incidences, excuse me, 
I'll read the first of these incidences, but you'll have to sort of read them in detail. I'll tell the story, but if you want to read them in detail, there's a little bit of homework for you, okay? So Mark chapter 4, beginning at verse 35, says this. That day, when Jesus came, uh, when evening came, he's, Jesus said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side, leaving the crowd behind. And they took him along just as he was in the boat. And there was also other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat. It was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? And he got up and he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they were terrified. Why? What a reaction. They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Now, these are the disciples. When a, a, a teacher, a rabbi, invited a disciple to be his student, essentially what Jesus was doing was, what the rabbi was doing was saying, be with me, abide with me. Hang out with me. Spend time with me. And they were invited to ask questions. It was really through a question and answer means that the disciples of the rabbis learnt. So Jesus has invited these men and many women as well to walk with him. And in particular, these 12, he invites them to come and to be with him. And as they're with him, he, he continues to blow their minds. Here they are in a boat. There's a squall. It's furious. They worry for their lives. They appeal to him, say, wake up, wake up, Jesus. Don't you care? We're drowning. And Jesus leans over the side of the boat, bleary-eyed, and says, Shut up, be quiet, die down. It's lit in the Greek, it's literally that sort of, that kind of command. In fact, curiously enough, it's the same command he uses when he speaks to demons. Come out, stop it, be quiet. And immediately, the storm dies down. And they, not surprisingly, say, who is this? Even, even the wind and waves obey him. Well, who Jesus is, and Mark is actually going to lengths over the next chapter and a half, who Jesus is, is that he is Lord over creation. Lord over creation. Now, I haven't got time to read the whole passage, so as I said, you do that. But I want to just tell the story briefly so that you can catch Mark's drift and also learn a very important principle by the end of it. So the first thing is that Jesus is Lord over creation. They land on the other side, and this demonized man comes raging down to the beach and scares them to death, but he falls at Jesus' feet, and he says, have you come to torment me? We know who you are. Have you come to torment me? And Jesus says, 
what's your name to these, this demon? And the man says, the name, my name is Legion, for we are many. This is the demon speaking through him. Well, cut story short. Jesus casts the demons out of that man with a word. There's some sort of interaction about where they should be sent. Jesus makes a little concession, but they are gone. And the man is restored to his right mind. What's the, what's the principle we're learning here? What's, the, what's the, the central point? The central point in the scheme of things is that Jesus is Lord over demons. Lord over creation, Lord over demons. He carries on. Next little story. He's, uh, he's carrying on in his business and he's crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake and a large crowd has gathered. And as he's there, uh, a, a man comes, a man called Jairus, and he says, will you come with me, master? For my daughter is desperately ill. And Jesus agrees. So he sets off to Jairus's house to heal Jairus' daughter. And on the way, a woman who has been uh, desperately ill and has literally squandered all her money in desperate attempts to get well for years and years and years, a woman says to herself, if I can only touch his garment, then I will be well. And she pushes through the crowd and there's a great big sort of, you know, crowd and, you know, great huddle and crush. She pushes through the crowd. And of course, everybody's jostling Jesus, but she's different. She's going there with intent to touch Jesus's garment, believing that she's going to be well. Well, she pushes through and she reaches out. She touches his, his, his back, his garment, and instantly... She's healed. Now, curiously enough, Jesus stops in his tracks and turns around and says, who touched me? Well, this is a bit of a question because everybody's touching everybody, you know, in that squash. They're all crunched up. And the disciples say, well, there's, there's a lot of people here. What do you mean who touched me? And, and, but Jesus, he's got that steely look in his eye and he says, who touched me? And the woman, knowing that she has you know, the Lord knows that something's afoot, falls at his feet and says, it was I. And then she spills out the story of this terrible life. You know, she's, she's a, a social outcast because she's ritually unclean because of the, the internal bleeding. She's sick. She's impoverished. And she pours out this story. And Jesus says to her, get up, daughter. I love that. Get up daughter, sister, family, get up, daughter. Your faith has healed you. Her faith was in the right person. Her faith was in Jesus. So she gets up and is utterly overwhelmed by his love and the liberation that Jesus brings. At that moment, though, Jairus's servants come and say to Jairus, don't bother the master anymore. Your daughter has died. Just pausing there, we have just seen Jesus demonstrate that he is Lord over sickness. Lord over sickness. Anyway, at that point, 
The, the servants come and say, don't bother the master anymore because uh, your daughter has died. And Jesus says, oh, she's only sleeping. And everybody goes, what? Well, I mean, they knew death in those days. Every village, every hamlet, let alone every town, people knew death. They, it, it was part of life, as indeed it is. It was all part of their life experience. And when somebody's dead, they know when they're dead. Anyway, he, he seems unperturbed by this. Needless to say, the disciples look a little quizzically, and Jesus says, come on, let's go. And so they go on to Jairus' house, and when they arrive, uh, arrive there, the, the professional mourners have already turned up in droves, and there's weeping and wailing and carrying on. And Jesus says, get them all out of here. And he, he goes into where the, one or two disciples goes in to the house, into the room where the child is. And, she, and he says, little girl, get up. This is to a dead body. Little girl, get up. And the little girl coughs, blutters, yawns, blinks, rubs her eyes, and gets up. You see, Jesus is Lord over death. So in that little day in the life scenario, and as you read through the scriptures, you'll see many other quest, uh, stories like that. But we, you know, Mark has painted this picture. Jesus is Lord over creation. Jesus is Lord over demons, evil, or call it what you will. Jesus is Lord over sickness, and Jesus is Lord over death. Now, for the disciples, they were on a profound journey inwards to Jesus. Jesus was not just any other rabbi. They start this day in the life that I've shared with you saying, who is this guy? What? what? He's just calmed a storm. But as they press into Jesus and as they see him and as they experience him and as they, as they, they see what he does and what this kingdom he keeps talking about really looks like, so faith rises up in them. So that when Jesus, in Mark's gospel, a chapter or so later on, says to them, hey, guys, it's your turn. And they say, what do you mean? I'm going to give you authority to go out into all those towns that we're going to go to, towns, villages, or hamlets. I'm going to give you authority over demons, and you ought to heal the sick. You're in a hurry. Don't take a load of baggage. You don't need an overnight bag or anything like that. Just go. Get it done. And I'm sure for some of them, their hearts raced, some with fear and terror. Oh, my gosh. But for others of them, they were excited. They couldn't wait. And the scripture re records in this and in other places that actually they went out and demons were subject to them and they healed people and goodness knows what. And they came back with reports of all sorts of kingdom activities. And what was Jesus' response? He rejoiced. He said, that's, that's what I was wanting to hear. Thank you, Father, that you've revealed this to these little ones. Thank you. You see, when 
you abide, remain, or press into Jesus, as you get to know Jesus, as you begin to bear the fruits of the Spirit, as you begin to know what Jesus is like, and through him the Father, a profound realization comes upon you that actually God is not ticked off by us, that God is not distant, that God is not reluctant, that God doesn't have to be coaxed or persuaded or some special incantation or some amazing sacrifice has to take place before he will do anything. Actually, quite the opposite is true. God is with us. And it's his plan, his choice of us, that we go and bear fruit, fruit of the kingdom. So the disciples, if, you know, six weeks prior to all these events had been told by Jesus to go out and heal the sick and what have you, they would have gone, ugh, crazy guy, I'm off. But they saw what Jesus did. They saw what it was as they abided, as they remained, as they stayed with him. They saw what he was like, and they saw how the kingdom of God was opened up to them through him. The same is true for us. The same is true for us. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. In the 21st century, Jesus is Lord over your work situations over your family's health, over your concerns about relationships? Does it mean that everything's going to be hunky-dory in a flash of a night? No, it doesn't mean that. But Jesus is Lord. And as we press into him, so we begin to see the world and our circumstances in a completely different way. We begin to find faith rising up into us. And it's not because we, we're a good person and we're doing all the church things and we're doing all the right, but because of who Jesus is and because he has chosen us. So let me just give you five quick steps to help you, you know, keep on the right track and to do this sort of pressing in, abiding in Jesus thing. Mark spoke about the word of God last week. There's more, there's more, uh, uh, things to come. But in terms of walking in the Spirit, being ready to be used by God in the 21st century, in your families, in your workplace, at your college, in your home, at the school gate, or wherever, five little things that will help you to understand how this actually works today and work then. First of all, it is essential that you keep alive and keep refreshed this relationship, this growing relationship, this deeping, deepening relationship that we have with God. Mark spoke well about it last week. This need to go on being filled by him. And that takes time and a little discipline and some sacrifice. And I love the point about, you know, making time, you know, finding a time that works for you. That's so helpful. And scheduling that in, you know, if it's going to be, oh, I'll find five minutes at some point during the day, it's not going to happen. But when you start being intentional about making space to be with Jesus, then we find ourselves abiding and growing in him.
Secondly, be available. You know, too many Christians these days, excuse me, are just not available. Too many Christians. You know, I'm in a, we're all living in a weird place now. I'm living in a village out in the Vale of Aylesbury, and I love it there. But all the church consultancy stuff and the preaching I was doing, I was doing a lot for a year or so, that's all kind of dried up with this weird corona thing. And I, I began to say to the Lord, well, what can I do, Lord, now? What can I do? I want to be available. Be available. And I realized that there was one time when I got out and I met people, and that's when I take, took the dog a walk, Monty, our dog. And so I said, Lord, I need to exercise the dog. You know, Lord, I need a bit of exercise too. But I want to be available. I could tell you stories about what God has done. I'm just going to rattle a few off because I'm, I'm wanting to get to somewhere else. But since I said that, I have prayed for a guy who had an infection in his eye. He's, he said, I'm not a Christian. I don't believe in this stuff. And I said, well, can I pray anyway? And he said, sure, whatever. I prayed for him. And the next time I saw him, his eye had, had all been all but healed. Now, he wasn't saying it was God, although actually he did say, you spoke to the man upstairs, didn't you? Look at my eye now. He also said the hospital was great. Well, praise God for that. But here was an unbeliever saying, you spoke to the man upstairs. Now look at my eye. I prayed for a, a gentleman who amazingly confided in me that he had considered suicide because of his current circumstances. I prayed for him. I prayed for a, a, a couple who were about to have a baby. And often this being available, the key of all of this is actually to take time to listen to people. Let them talk about what they want to talk to. Don't try and steer it your way. But eventually there will come an opportunity when they ask you a question or whether they, where they present an opportunity. So for example, another chap, chap called Ian, I said hi to him. He was in his garden. He was an older guy. He said hello, and he wandered over, and the Lord said to me, he wants to talk. Let him talk. Well, I was there for at least 20 minutes, and I have had many conversations. Well, I'd like to say they were conversations. They're not really conversations at all. He just talks. He talks, he talks, he talks. But the Lord said, that's loving him. I'm going to give you an opportunity. Then there was the lady whose husband had just died. You know, these are just situations that come up in a little village. And, and I realized that God is doing something different, and it's really small, and it's really intimate, but God is at work. God is at work. Be available. Don't rush through your day. Be ready to be interrupted and give a little time to what the Lord has to say. Expect the Holy Spirit's prompting. So if the Lord seems to be saying to you, you should pray for this person, act on it. Don't go home and say to your partner, your girlfriend, your boyfriend, your spouse, ah, I was talking to somebody, I should have prayed for them. Good intentions will not get this job done. Take these opportunities. You know, it may be a brief prayer. It may be one of those things that, you know, that uh, seems to be, uh, inconsequential. You think, oh, that was a terrible prayer. But just do it. 
expect God's Holy Spirit prompting. I remember one day, this was a, a, quite a time ago, just when I was beginning to move in this kind of thing, where a lady, I, I was in a, a news agent, and there was this lady here, and for, uh, for some reason, you know, I just felt the Lord say to me, you should pray for her. And I thought, well, how am I going to do that? Well, I won't go through the whole story, but suffice it to say, she came to a bus stop and I was walking on behind and I, I tapped, I went up to her, tapped her on the shoulder. There's nobody else there. I said, I saw you in the shop and I'm, forgive me, I'm a Christian, but I felt that God was telling me that you had just been through a, a, a time of great grief and I'd love to just pray a blessing upon you. This was way, way, way outside my comfort zone and probably yours too. But she looked at me startled. You know, I was a, a man reaching out, speaking to her. But the moment I said that, that little spiritual gift, that little word of knowledge, and we'll be talking about some of those in a minute, that little word of knowledge meant, and she said, yes, how did you know that? And I said, well, I believe the Lord told me, but the main thing is, can I just pray a blessing on you? Now, you know, thank God I was able to do that. Believe me, there've been many times when I've not done it since I've balked at it. However, the point is this, be available and expect the Holy Spirit's prompting. Fourthly, there will be setbacks. There will be times when you seem to get it wrong. I have made many set, I've had many setbacks and made many mistakes. And my fear is when I make a mistake is that people will reject me or reject the Lord or all these kind of things. I prayed for a couple uh, on a, a campsite a couple of years ago. And she was very, very ill. And she was an atheist. She was a Swede and she was an atheist and her husband was a lapsed Catholic. And they were immensely suspicious, so much so that they came to see me the following day and said, that really weirded us out. I just had to carry that. Personally, and I hope this doesn't sound as arrogant, I believe that the prayer would will have been a blessing to them. I, I just believe that. But it weirded them out. There will be setbacks. There will be those times. I mean, Jesus, he was going about doing his business and casting out demons, and people called him the son of Beelzebub, the devil. You know, that's not great news. So there will be setbacks, but the fifth and final point here is persevere. Just because something does not turn out in the way you expect it to, persevere. Get up, dust yourself off, and the next time you're available, you expect the Spirit's prompting, for, you know, forget about the setback and just go for it, and God will do great things. I'm going to just introduce this ministry time, which we're, we're going to do. I just want to tell you a story which happened in this very room. And over the years, um, over the years, we have seen many, many couples who've been trying for babies, children, who have just been in the depths of despair. Some of them a few of them, not many, but a few of them have been able to afford IVF treatment and still been struggling. But over the years, we've seen many people who've come forward for prayer and praise God, you know, they've become pregnant. And I remember uh, possibly the first time this ever happened. There was a couple in this church at the end of the service. They came up to me. They were new to the church 
And uh, he was a scientist, I remember that. And she, uh, she was a very fresh, very, uh, very attractive, um, sort of very attractive young woman, uh, quite floor, you know, dressed in Laura Ashley, sort of quite, quite cheery and what have you. And they said, would you mind praying for us? And uh, I said, sure, what, what do you want me to pray for? And they said, well, and they looked at one another, a little embarrassed. There's so much shame with this thing. Let's break off that shame. Let's break off that shame now. They said, we have been trying to conceive. Would you, we're just not having any success, please. Would you pray for us? So I said, well, of course. And I can't recall, actually, but I'm not sure that I'd ever prayed for anybody at that point who had had this particular problem that I can remember. So I started to pray. And uh, the Holy Spirit gave me one of these hunches, one of these prompts. And what he said was a sim simple, simple word, abortion. Now, I, it shocked me, actually. It shocked me. Uh, looking at this couple, I don't know what I was thinking, but they did not like the, look like the couple, uh, couple who'd have an abortion, and she certainly didn't. She looked like butter wouldn't melt in her mouth. And I thought, oh, get that one out of my mind. Carried on praying, and it just wouldn't go away. So... After a while, I couldn't bear it anymore. I, I said to the woman, I said, excuse me, I, you know, I, I'm a little distracted. I've, this word has come into my mind and, <clears throat> and uh, uh, you know, it's probably just me, but the word abortion keeps coming to mind. Have you ever had an abortion? Well, the husband looks, he's a scientist, not really a Christian yet, he looked really startled. Whoa, defenses went up. But she burst into tears. And bless her heart, she had had an abortion. So then we meant, I pressed in on the prayer. I said, okay, let's just come into the Lord's presence again. Let's press into him. Let's abide in him. Let's just press into the Lord's presence. And with that, you know, I was able to speak release and forgiveness into that shame, that, you know, that, that, that sense of sin. And then the Lord gave me a little word, two words. He said, now lay hands on the woman's head and lay hands on the husband and just say, just command and say, be open. So that's what I did. Be open. They looked like a great weight had fallen off them, or sure, at least she did. I, you know, I'm not even sure that he knew about this. I, I just don't know, but that's speculation. But needless to say, a few weeks later, they came bouncing up the front and said, we're pregnant. We're pregnant. And after that, you know, we had many occasions. It seemed to break something, and many people came forward and have received prayer. There's kids running around in, with Ripley and all the rest of it who are here because we prayed for them. And I may be old-fashioned, but I've just stuck to that little be open thing. 
Now, some of you here are in that place of shame because of abortion. Some of you here are struggling to conceive. And I want you, if that's you, I just want you to stand up now where you are. God is with us. And I'm going to raise my hand. And I just want you where you are just to raise your hand to cover my hand on the screen. Come, Holy Spirit. Come into these homes, these flats, these apartments, these lounges, these dining rooms, these bedrooms. Deliver folk from the shame of abortion. Break through, Lord God, to those whose wombs have been closed up for whatever reason. And in Jesus' name, because we abide in him, with the authority he has given us, with the power of the Holy Spirit, I say, be open. Now the Lord is here, wherever here is for you. You sense that? That's the presence of God. I'm going to read out some of the words of knowledge that our team has uh, felt the Lord has prompted them to give. By the way, can I just say this? If, if there are, this talk will raise many questions about, well, how do you, what do you mean a prompt and all these kind of things? We do teaching on spiritual gifts and please talk to your, you know, connect group leaders. They're, that's available. It's just, I cannot, we cannot just do this in this talk. But there's some words of knowledge that, uh, Richard typed out for me. These are from our, our team. I'm going to just speak those out now. Please don't go rushing out of the room at this point. Just stay in this moment. Remember how Jesus healed remotely that centurion's daughter. Don't, that, that centurion's servant, don't miss the moment here. A woman with a painful left ear a woman with a painful left elbow, a man who has dislocated his shoulder. It's been fixed, but it's still painful. Someone with an infection in their right ear, someone with constant headaches, someone with painful arthritis in the right foot, someone with a deep sense of loss. Oh, Lord, just fill that person up now. Be present with them. A man with severe heartburn, someone with a painful right upper arm, a man experiencing chest pain and afraid to go to the doctors, someone with difficulty swallowing, a lady with insomnia, and someone with an inflamed kidney. All of these have been prayed through by our team as they have been abiding in the Holy Spirit, in Jesus, and through him our Father. Now, we're going to hold this moment. I, uh, you've been very patient. 
But don't leave the room. Don't give up on this moment now. Give us a few more moments of your valuable day. And what we're going to do, we're going to run. I've asked the team just to run a little bit of worship for five minutes. That's all. Stay in this moment, in the presence of God. And as we play this worship, let God minister to you. Let him minister to you. There's such glory in this because you're not being prayed for by a, a woman of God, a man of God. God is with you. God is with you. Be healed in the name of Jesus.